All right, so we are in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 3. And, uh, and so we're walking through the Gospel of John, verse by verse, and, and many times just word by word. And there, there's a reason why we're doing this series this way. And so I want to kind of go over that with you real quick. First of all, when we go through the Word of God slowly, it helps us to see things that we might have missed before. You ever done that? You've read a verse, like, man, I've read this a hundred times, and I never saw this, okay? When we go slowly, we're able to see those things. The second part of it is, it oftentimes will kind of force us into passages of Scripture that we might otherwise skip over. And so today we're going to see, I think, both of those things come to reality. We're starting with John 3.16, okay? Arguably the most quoted and most, most well-known verse of Scripture. But then what happens after that in chapter 3 is the author is going to really explain to us what John 3.16 is about. As we get started, I just want to talk for a second about the cultural myth that love and judgment can't exist in the same being. So in the world today, the idea is you are either loving or you are judgmental, you can't be both. And the word judgmental um, over time has morphed into, a, into this idea that it's almost always considered to be a negative thing, right? If somebody says, hey, don't be judgmental, what they mean by that is not positive. They're not encouraging you, they're saying, hey, quit doing something. And so it's meant in a negative sense. But today we're going to see that these two ideas are actually not mutually exclusive. That God can actually be both, both loving and judge. And, and just fair warning, today might be a little bit heavy, okay? It's okay. Sometimes the word of God gets heavy and we need to feel that weight in order to fully understand and appreciate the good news of the gospel. And so it may get a little heavy for a minute. Here we go. So we're starting John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And there's a good chance you in your own mind were already thinking the words before I read them. You have memorized this or you're familiar with it. Maybe you memorized it in a different version, but you know this verse. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. Many of us can just rile it off. But here's the question. What does that mean? Well, it begins with the phrase, for God so loved the world. And the problem with that is, we don't really know as a, as a, as a culture what love means. And I know that we don't know what it means because I hear us using it in a lot of different ways, Right? I love my wife, and I love my kids, and I love my dog, and I love chocolate. Well, we mean different things, right? Hopefully, and even on maybe even different levels. I hope you love your wife more than you love your dog. If not, we need to get you signed up for marriage counseling right now, okay? So, but we use the same word, but we mean different things, and so already we have to ask the question, what does it mean when God uses that word? What does it mean that God loves the world? Does, he, does that mean then, since he loves the world, all he wants for you is what is easy and convenient and comfortable? Or does it mean something else? Well, we get three expressions of what it means here already just in this one verse, beginning with this, he gave his only son. Now, the author, John, could have said he sent his only son, because it's 
said that way in the Bible in places. And that's true, right? God sent his son. But he specifically chose the word gave. Why? Because in the sending of Jesus, Jesus had a mission and he was headed to the cross from the beginning. So ultimately the sending of the son was the giving. You with me? God's giving his son as a sacrificial gift to us. He's not just sending him here to hang out with us. He's actually giving him to us as a gift. And so there's an expression of love, right? You give sacrificially to the object that you claim to love. But I love this second part, that whosoever would believe in him. Why does that one excite me so much? Whosoever would believe in him. Here's why I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful is because what God is doing, he's saying, hey, listen, I'm making the way to heaven doable. Because if you add anything else to it, it's no longer doable. For example, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believed in him and has perfect church attendance would have eternal life. I'm sunk, right? Or whosoever believed in him and doesn't cuss anymore. What, the pastor? No, I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> been alive 43 years. I've had a slip up, right? Because if you add anything else to it, it's no longer doable. And so when we see that, whoever believed in him, you've got to see that as an expression of love. That's loving, right? Where God comes to us and says, listen, if I make, any, if I make it any other way, you won't be able to do it. So I'm going to make it doable for you. Here's how it's going to be doable. You just believe. And then what does that gain for us? That we should not perish but have eternal life. Now there's a lot packed into eternal life because that begins with forgiveness of sins, right? Because the forgiveness of sins has to happen so that God can see me as righteous so that I can get into heaven. So a lot is implied here when we read God loves us. It's more than I just want you to be comfortable and I want you to have an easy life and I want things to be convenient for you. God's like, no, no, no. This is what it looks like when I love you. I give my son as a sacrificial gift and I make the kingdom of heaven doable. And all you do is believe. And here's what I'm gonna give to you who believe, eternal life with me. That's what it looks like when I say I love you. Now what happens from here now is that the gospel writer John, he's gonna unpack that verse for us so that we don't, we don't come up with our own ideas of what it means for God to be loving. And so we continue in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, oftentimes that verse is pulled out of context and used to build this argument. See, God doesn't judge. He didn't send his son into the world to judge the world. But that's where we have to keep reading. Verse 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And so essentially what John is saying is, yeah, Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. The world was already under judgment. Well, when did that happen? Well, it takes us all the way back to the beginning, doesn't it? All the way back to Genesis chapter two, and God's like, hey, Adam, come here. You see all this? It's good. Don't mess it up. Okay, well, how do I not mess it up? By not breaking my law. Here's my law. Don't eat from this tree. 
When you eat from this tree, you break my law and you will experience now death. Like that's the condemnation that comes from breaking God's law. So as soon as Adam and Eve disobey God, they break his law, right? And now they're condemned. And so what the gospel writer is saying to you and me is like, hey, Jesus didn't come into the world to judge you. Oh, good, I'm so thankful. Yeah, because you were already under God's judgment. Why? Because you already broke his law, Amen. right? We can't pin all this on Adam and Eve. We've got to own our part of this and say, you know what? I've broken God's law too. Amen. And that's so important for us to understand. Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn it. He came to the world to rescue people who are already condemned. Like that's different, isn't it? And so we continue on. Now, one of the things that um, we see in our culture today, this misunderstanding of, of judgment and God's judgment gets translated into this phrase, only God can judge me. And you may have seen that. I've um, seen it like it's a popular tattoo. Um, and oftentimes it will come with like 1 Corinthians 4, 4, only God can judge me. And there's some truth to that in the sense that we don't judge each other that way. Okay, but what is oftentimes meant by that, and we can blame Tupac for this, um, it was the name of his 1996 hit, Only God Can Judge Me, right? And so what was meant by that, uh, according to his lyrics, is back off, quit telling me what to do, and quit telling me when I'm wrong. And essentially, that's what that phrase has come to mean in our culture today is back off. Don't tell me when I'm wrong. I'll decide when I'm wrong. Only God can judge me. And I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing until he tells me otherwise. And of course, God's on the other end of that phone call going, dude, I already told you. <laughs> like, like, what else do you need me to say? Like, I said a lot of stuff in here. Matter of fact, you haven't read it because you said I said too much stuff. So you want me to say more? Like, it's already here. But you, right that our culture has taken that out of context and says, see, look, God doesn't judge. He can't be both loving and judge. So he must be therefore just loving because I like that God better, right? That one's way more fluffy and comfortable. And we continue on. I just want to read from you 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. I'm going to read from the ESV and then I'm going to read from the NIV just so we can get a full understanding here. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. That's true, right? God judges me. So if I was gonna have a tattoo that says only God can judge me, that's a good verse to have on there. But I can't dismiss the first half of the verse, can I? Which listen to it in the NIV and I think it'll even make more sense. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. And what Paul is saying, you know what, right now, I don't feel guilty of anything, but that doesn't mean I'm not guilty because my conscience is a moving target, right? I mean, we can go from doing something we don't feel guilty about to later on in life looking back and going, you know what, I kind of feel kind of guilty about that. I don't want to do that anymore. So hopefully, like, if you're saved and you have a relationship with Christ, that's happened for you. Like, now there are certain things you go, you know what, if I were to do what I used to do, it would just make me feel icky and dirty. Because your conscience has been awakened to what's right. But you can also, on the other side of things, feel some kind of remorse and guilt about something, but keep doing it over and over and over again. And what happens is the Bible says your conscience will become seared. It'll start to become numb. So at the end of the day, don't trust your conscience. So this is the Apostle Paul writing this. He's saying, man, I don't feel guilty about anything right now, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent. Only God knows, right? Only God is the true 
judge. Now, I want to take us to the Old Testament. You know, there would be some who would say, I love the New Testament because it's full of all this good news and it has the gospel and, and I don't see that in the Old Testament. Well, I, I would encourage you to read Ezekiel chapter 18. That's what we're going to do together. I'm going to read several verses of scripture and I want you to listen to something. I want you to listen for God's heart towards people who break his law. Okay, so if in your mind you're thinking God is this rude, mean, unempathetic, unsympathetic judge who sits on his throne with his finger pointed, just being mean to people. Would you listen to God? Would you listen to his heart expressed through the prophet Ezekiel? We're gonna start in chapter 18, verse 20, and just begin to read. So the first words say, the soul who sins shall die. That's that's the garden, right? You sin, you die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. So what God is saying is everybody's gonna be held accountable. Your mama's not responsible for your soul. You are. That's what he's saying. He goes on. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Now listen to verse 23. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn away and live? So God's asking this rhetorical question. He's like, do you think I enjoy condemning? Do you think that, I, that, that, that brings pleasure to me? Because it doesn't. I would much rather you turn and live. Verse 24, but when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, am I supposed to let him live? How does that work? None of the righteous deeds that he has done shall be remembered. For the treachery of which he is guilty and the sin he has committed, for them he shall die. Yet you say to me, The way of the Lord is not just, which is just fancy talk for, well, that's not fair. Now, if you have children, you've heard that phrase. But but every adult in here has thought that at some point, whether that was in your parents' household. Well, that's not fair. You're giving him more than you're giving me. You're doing for them that you're, right? It's not fair. It's not equitable. It's not just. And so the people of Israel were complaining to God. You're not fair. And let's just think about that for just a minute, okay? So let me just check and see. Raise your hand if you created the world. I'm looking for, oh, nobody? Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. God created the world, therefore he gets to determine what the standard of righteousness is, correct? I mean, it's his to decide. And so here's how he determines what is righteous. He uses his own character. That's how he determines what righteousness is versus unrighteousness. It's not arbitrary. He's not just grabbing concepts out of the sky and going, you know what? I think murder should be just considered a sin. No, God's like, no, like my character would say that I want you to live. It's good to live. I created things to live. So to do the opposite of that is sin, right? To murder, to take life. So God's character is the standard of what is righteous. And he's creator. He gets to do that, right? Nobody would argue that. 
But then we come back to this idea of that's not fair. Listen to what follows from here. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? Now here's why God says that. Because the nation of Israel, rather than, rather than submitting themselves to the standard of God, they were wanting God to change his standards. Which is a common modern day parenting mode of operation. We start off with a standard. You have to clean your room. And if you don't clean your room, here's the punishment. And then after several times of the child not cleaning the room, now it becomes inconvenient to parent. So then what do we do? We change the standard. You know what? Never mind. You're never going to get it. Right? You've probably been, you've at least been tempted to do it. And surely you've seen somebody do it. And I know you are all awesome parents, so you've never done it. But that is a common mode of operation in our culture today. If I can't get my kids to obey the standard, I'm going to change the standard because it's just really inconvenient for me and it makes me look like an icky parent if I hold them to this standard, right? And so like, I'll just give you an example from our household. It's a simple example, but um, so for us, we're real slow on the whole digital thing. Like we, we're not like anti-digital, but like you got to earn it. It's just our, I'm not saying you have to, that's just what we do. If you want to play on the Kindle or the Xbox, whatever, you got to earn that and we keep time. Okay, and so, but on the flip side of that, if you break the, the law, if you break dad's law, that's the first thing that goes, right? And, and the reason why is because it means too much to my kids right now, just being honest with you. Like, they just love it too much. So I'm like, okay, that's the first thing that goes. So I had this rule. I implemented it last fall, and it worked initially. I said, hey, you guys trash the backseat of my truck, and you get out without grabbing your stuff, you lose your digital privileges. For how long? However long I decide. How about that? And so, I kid you not, last... Wednesday, I get in my truck in the morning. And my job, I pick the kids up from school almost every day, take them home, and then I, the next morning I get in my truck and I look in the back seat and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, it wasn't just like stuff. It was like dirty dishes. <laughs> like at some point, one of my kids was eating a meal going down the road, <laughs> left the dirty dishes. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, well, this, this'll, this'll get them. I'm gonna pull up for a kid pickup and they've got to get into that back seat with dirty dishes. And they're gonna go, oh man, messed up. I hope dad didn't see it. So I pick them up Thursday from school. They jump in, hop in. How was your, how was your day? Good. So they just push the dirty dishes into a pile with the trash. I'm like, oh, see what happens. So we pull up to the house and I just put it in park and I just sit there and they get out and they grab their backpack and they get out and they're walking around the truck in the house. I roll down my window. I say, hey, can I see you two guys over here at my window real quick? And they're like, what, what could it be? So they, come, they come back up to my window and they're just so polite. Yes, father. <laughs> Do you yes, father me? Hey, you guys just lost your candles for a full week. Any questions? What do you mean we lost our candles? Like, yeah, you lost your candles. Why? I don't know. Just take a look at the back seat. And they open up. They're like, oh, that's yours. That's yours. And they start blaming each other. And, and I'm like, I don't care who it is. You both lost your candles. Get that back seat cleaned out. That's my law. It's my rule. Now, in the moment, that was real easy because I was frustrated with them. Fast forward to the next day. It's Friday. And we're sending our boys to go spend time with grandma, but grandma's working Friday afternoon. And so they have to go to the place of her work for about an hour and a half, two hours. And so grandma's like, hey, for sure, if you could just send them with their Kindles so they can do their thing. Well, so I can finish up working because it'd be really inconvenient for her to have to babysit while she's working. I don't want that for her. Again, 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 I'm like, okay. And so, um, so my wife, she didn't know about the Kindle thing. So she's like told the boys to pack their Kindles. And my son, oldest son comes to me, he goes, dad, I don't know what to do. It's a dilemma. <laughs> Okay, so what's your dilemma? 
mom just told us to pack our Kindles, and you told us we're grounded from them. I'm like, well, why do you need your Kindles? Well, because we're going to yada, yada, yada. I'm like, okay, well. Um, and I was really tempted to change the rules. I'm just being honest with you. Because to keep the standard meant I was going to have to inconvenience grandma, and it certainly was not her fault, right? She didn't have anything to do with the dirty dishes. But I took a deep breath and said, you know what? Nope. What are we going to do? Take a book. Take a long book. We got two hours. We'll take two books. Well, what else can we do? Breathe. I, I don't know. It's not my dilemma. I didn't break the rule. You did. Right? But it was so tempting for me to want to change the standard. You, you've been there, right? When, when holding your kids to a standard is going to inconvenience other people, it's not their fault. But listen to me. God has two options, and actually only has one, but the two options are change the standard or hold us accountable. And here, you need to hear this. He can't change the standard because the standard's based on something that doesn't change, his character. You with me? He can't just go, you know what? I know I said don't murder. Never mind. Let's do something different. He, he, right? He can't. His, and aren't you thankful his character doesn't change? I don't want to worship and believe in a God and follow a God whose character changes right? His character doesn't change. His law doesn't change, right? So now we have a dilemma. So he's not going to change the law. Now we begin to understand, oh, for God so loved the world, he gave as a gift his only son. So we continue reading this Ezekiel passage, verse 30. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord, God, Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions you have committed and make yourselves, listen, a new heart and a new spirit. We talked about that last week, right? That's what we mean by being born again. And then listen to this. Will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. I do not have any pleasure in punishing my boys. And on a much bigger scale, God's saying, I have no pleasure in disciplining you. First, or 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn us. We were condemned already, according to the Bible. Jesus came to the world as God's, God's heart, his loving heart towards us saying, listen, I'm gonna make a way that's doable for you. I don't want to condemn you. All you have to do is believe in my son. That's it. And I will forgive every sin. Matter of fact, I will render you as righteous. <laughs> Me? Yes, you. I will make you righteous and I will give you eternal life with me. For God so loved the world, he gave his son that whoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. Now, the next part of John 3, we've actually covered already. It's a beautiful part of this, the narrative of John the Baptist and we covered this a few weeks ago when we were looking at John the Baptist. I'll just give you a summary of what's happening so a few chapters back, John the Baptist has got some disciples and he's baptizing and he sees Jesus. And he says, oh, there he is. That's the one I've been telling you about. That's the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. 
And immediately a couple of John's disciples left and started following Jesus, but not all of them. So John the Baptist is out just a short time later with his disciples. He's baptizing, preparing the way for Jesus. And his disciples see Jesus baptizing and he's got a whole lot more people in line. And so they come back to John the Baptist and they're like, hey, 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 what's the deal? Remember that guy you pointed out and said like, he's, he's the Messiah, you know, the lamb takes away the sins of the world, all that kind of stuff. Well, he's got a lot more people coming to him for baptism. And, and what happens is John the Baptist begins to fill with joy. Matter of fact, that's what the Bible says. He just begins to get excited. So instead of like being jealous or envious of Jesus, he's like, whoa, that's actually the point, guys. That's why I came. I came to, to show everybody who the Messiah was and point to him and then get out of the way. Matter of fact, here's, I'll just read one verse from this section. It says this, that joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. That's John's, the Baptist's response to his disciples. Guys, that's the, why I'm here. You don't want me to make much of me, why? because I'm not the lamb who can take away sins. I won't be able to fix your problem. I can't save you. I can't rescue you from your sins. You don't want people to know me. You want people to know him. And so this is in John chapter three, and then we get to verse 31. And we'll finish with these verses today. He who comes from above is above all. He who is, who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. So Jesus is from heaven, John the Baptist is from earth. John speaks in an earthly way. Verse 32, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. However, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God and he gives the spirit without measure. And so what's happening here is the gospel writer, he's comparing John the Baptist to Jesus. One of them came from heaven, one is of the earth. The one who's from the earth, he speaks in earthly things. But the one from heaven, he speaks about heavenly things. And, and they're gonna be so true that you'll wanna seal your life with it and say, you know what, that's true. And then listen to this. He gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. And 36 is really the kind of the culmination of everything. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so really the theme of chapter three is quite simple. The world is already under judgment. Why? because we all broke God's law. Amen. And I know that in, in our flesh, we would just rather him change the law, right? <laughs> just change the rules, that's way easier. I, mean, I don't have to change. The guy says, listen, I'm not changing the rules because the rules are a reflection of me. So here's what I am gonna do. I am gonna make a way for you to be rescued. I'm gonna send my son. He's gonna take your place on the cross. He's gonna die, remember? He who sins must die. So he's gonna say, hey, let me die for you. He's gonna take your place. And if you want what he has to offer, I'm gonna make it doable. Here, here's what you have to do. Believe. Believe in, in what else? No, no, no. Believe. Believe he is my son and you will have eternal life. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but truly will have eternal life. Listen, I wanna end there today. 
I know it's kind of weighty, <laughs> but hopefully what's happened today is from the Bible, you've seen that, that God can be both judge and loving at the same time, as any good parent should be. But at the same time, he is not fair. He is, listen to me, more than fair. So if you come to me and you say, it's just not fair, God's not fair, I will respond to you and say, you know what, you're right, God's not fair. Have you read the Bible? Because he's actually more than fair. What would be fair is to put me on the cross. He's not fair, he's more than fair. And if you're here today and you do not have a personal relationship with him, I'm about to pray for you that you would make that decision today. Take a step of faith and trust in Jesus as your savior. Believe that he is the son of God, died in your place for your sins, and that by believing in him, you would have eternal life. If you want to talk with somebody, our prayer partners are about to come down. They'll be at the front. We'll have some at the back as well. They would be honored to talk with you about making the decision to trust in Christ today. So as our worship team comes forward, our prayer partners come forward, I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna ask God's spirit to move and to, and to awaken us, speak to us, if necessary, convict us. You know, maybe soften our conscience if we've become seared to some things, but ultimately that God would move in this room. Let's pray that together, can we? Father, we thank you for John chapter three. And Father, thank you for showing us just the depth and, and, and the, the vast meaning behind John three sixteen this morning. And, and our response now is that you truly do love the world. You truly do. And Father, today we see just more clearly how much you love us. You love us in such a way that you're willing to not just sin, but to give your son as a sacrifice. And God, you're, you're so loving and kind towards us that you make heaven doable, that we would simply just believe. And God, I'm praying for any person here today who has not taken that step of faith to believe in Jesus, that God, you would, you would lead them right now your Holy Spirit would draw them right now to take that step of faith. Father, now we ask for your Holy Spirit that you give beyond measure to move through this place. Many of us here today, God, we need our consciences recalibrated. We need our consciences softened. So if there's anybody here today, God, who is begin to drift. Father, today you would draw us back to yourself in a refreshing way. I pray, God, for your church. You would teach us to love your law, to love your commandments, to see goodness in the law because the law points us to you. And Father, I pray on anybody here who's just struggling to believe, God, you would give faith today. Pray all this in Jesus' powerful name.